0: You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad that you are here once again at Sex, Love, and Addiction. I hear a lot of good things about this podcast, and I'm very, very grateful. And it is presented by our treatment program, which is seekingintegrity.com. Well, you'll also find about 15 free groups, groups that I got moderated by therapists who are giving up their time and lots and lots of information. So I invite you to stop by. Well, you know, I have favorites and then I have favorites and then I have amazingly favorite favorites. And Dr. Stan Tatkin, who is joining me today, is one of my amazingly favorite favorites. And by the way, I believe our podcast on his last book, We Do, is the number one sex, love, and addiction podcast, as well it should be, because it really addresses the nature of marriage and what it means to be a couple and what it means to carry out that commitment and why we make it. And now, Dr. Tatkin has taken the time to write something new, but let me first quickly tell you about him. He's amazing. He's a clinician. He's a researcher. He's a teacher. He developed something called Pact PACT, which is a psychobiological approach to couples therapy. I have uh, I know he trains hundreds and hundreds of therapists around the country, probably more than that, in Pact work. And uh, you know, he teaches at UCLA. He's a really sweet guy, married forever. And so I bring you Dr. Stan Katkin. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Ron. That was very kind what you said. I love that. Thank you so much. Well, I
0: told you before that um, this is a gentleman who is extremely warm and loving in ways that I am not, folks. And so I told him that I aspire to be like him, not entirely, but because I'm actually better looking. But nonetheless, I do aspire to be like him in so many ways in terms of kindness and compassion, and especially that which he shows towards couples. And so Dr. Tatkin, I want to ask you about this book you've written and folks it's called In Each Other's Care. And the reason that I'm particularly interested in this is this is not about why couples build relationship or how they build relationship or the meaning of relationship, although that's always throughout your work. This time Dr. Tatkin, you wrote a book about conflict and how couples struggle with, it and what are the areas in which they struggle? And you got really specific, which I appreciate. So now I really want you to talk about, about conflict in couples and how they can work through this. And Lord knows I have a lot of conflicted couples.
1: As do I. Well, conflict is, uh, is a very human thing. Uh, uh, if you're a human primate, you're going to get into conflict uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, because we're very difficult animals, I think. Speak for yourself, Dr. I am a very difficult animal. (laughs) I'm a pain in the ass. And so, uh, you know, this was written during the pandemic when people were, uh, as you know, uh, getting married, breaking up, uh, freaking out. For some people, it was going really well. Other people, it was the worst time in their life. And a lot of it had to do with being, uh, you know, stuck at home, quarantining with their partner. I really thought a lot about what is actually important, and so I I wrote this book with that in mind. Can I ask you, what do you mean by important? What what is actually important to us as a species? What is actually existentially important? We're in the weeds most of the time. Uh, We're uh, focused on ourselves, and we're not Uh, working with others in a pro-relationship manner. We do when we feel like it, when we don't feel like it, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, sorry, I'm in it for myself. And that's all of us. There are no exceptions. Uh, And ever so much, people become pro-self under stress. And so the book really is focusing on structure, any union that doesn't co-create its own structure. And by that, I mean... You and I, in the relationship, we are the creators. We uh, come up with the shared mythology that is our relationship. Relationships don't really exist in real life.
0: So I I don't really understand what you just said, and I want to. You said that you can't really see a relationship, or or a relationship doesn't really exist, or or something that was way beyond me. Can you talk more about that?
1: It's an abstraction. You can't really... uh, A relationship is something that is subjective. It's something that I make up in my head, and it's actually an important thing that we can do that we're the only species on the planet that can make shit up. And we do that with uh, imagining uh, corporations, we imagine uh, groups, we imagine churches, we imagine God, we imagine ideas, innovations.
0: Wait a minute, I had a steak sandwich today, and I did not imagine that I had that steak sandwich. So... I'm not sure. Um, again, what do you mean I imagined it? I know it was good. I put you know, ketchup on it. What? Uh, tell me about imagining.
1: Well, you created that sandwich. You didn't eat it off the ground. You created it. You had a picture, an image before you made it. And so what I'm saying is that in a relationship that we're creating, we have to define it. We have to make sure that we are creating the same picture in our heads. Otherwise we're going to have some trouble, right? You, let's say we start a band. We start a band and um, you have ideas about what that band would be. I have ideas. But uh, what if our ideals, ideas are running counter to each other's wants, vision, um, you know, what we're expecting? We could not have a very long-lived band. Well, then, then we'd sound like, uh,
0: like I did in seventh grade with my high school band is a little out of tune. So.
1: There you go. Okay. Well, there's nothing wrong with that if you like your music out of tune. But this is really as you like it. And in a union of, among free people, we expect as adults that people are coming together based on shared power and shared authority to separate individuals uh, who are different by definition. And in order to co-create something that could last a long time. We have to get each other on board with the purpose. Why are we doing it? Um, where are we going? Is it where I want to go?
0: In the beginning, uh, I have no idea who you are because you're just all everything I've ever wanted. And, you know, we talk about relationships don't really begin until I have it, Well, you know, you're the dream person and you're all I ever talk about and you feel every emptiness inside of me and you're the most beautiful thing in the world. Limerence in the beginning it's in your head. Well, that's yes. And in my heart, whatever you want to call that, I have met my ideal mate, but it seems to me as time goes on, I figure out who they are. And maybe what you're saying, I don't know, is that we we need to begin to create a picture of what we want rather than what we imagined or thought was there. But I don't, again, I don't fully understand. So I want you to say it more. Tell us more.
1: If people imagined the relationship that they want, not the person, right? Not the person. People disappoint. We're all disappointing. We're all messy. And you may think I'm everything you want, but guess what? I'm also a lot of things you don't want. You haven't discovered that yet. You will. If I'm under stress and distress, I can be a real asshole. So can you. That's the human condition, right? So it's really understanding what kind of relationship should this be? Why do it? Why join ranks? Why create a union, an alliance, a team? Why even do it? Well, if it's based on love and attraction, that's not smart because love and attraction gets you in the door, but does not keep you in the room love and attraction wanes, uh, comes and goes, a lot goes. And we're still accountable for if we're going to play fair, if we're going to work together collaboratively and cooperatively. But what if I don't like you? Well, how am I going to treat you? What if I'm angry with you? Uh, What is my behavior going to be like? What if I want something and you don't? Uh, Am I going to make a unilateral decision? That's good for me. But hey, sorry, Rob, you know,
0: well, you for an addict, that is how you operate. You make a unilateral decision and then you hide, you ignore, you pretend, and you basically tune that person out so that you can continue to do it the way you want to. But what we're here to talk about is not only heal not only changing that dynamic, but also the things that come up once we really do begin to share a commitment to something. What what is it Love brings up everything unlike itself, I think someone said once. And uh, and yeah, so I'm listening to you and thinking, most people think it's just going to get better and better. They don't consciously think about their relationship. They don't make decisions. They just, it gets better or it doesn't. But you're saying something about being conscious of it or making choices or...
1: That there's got to be a purpose. Uh, there has got to be a reason we uh, are going to join together. And it cannot be based on love because love is unpredictable. We do terrible things in the name of love. And we have to have something stronger than that because human primates are by nature unreliable, uh, by nature selfish and self-centered, me included, opportunistic, moody, fickle, easily influenced by groups, and xenophobic. Wait, hold on a second. You seem to have a particularly, for a therapist,
0: I got to say, who works with couples, you seem to have a particularly negative view of human beings, but
1: maybe I'm missing something. I actually have a very positive, I'm not a self-loathing primate. Uh, I'm realistic. Uh, We have to understand that under certain conditions, uh, we can all do things that are pro-self and not pro-relationship. And I can prove that. So this is about, uh, you know, this is about growing up. This is about being an adult. This is about two people deciding themselves what is the best thing we could do in this or that instance and what is the right thing we should do, even though it, it will be perhaps the hardest thing to do. That speaks right to addiction because we all, many of us, but I'd say all of us at different times, Want to do the expedient thing, want to feel better at the cost of doing what's best. And that happens especially in love relationships, but it happens in all relationships. So, what I'm suggesting is that people approach love uh, relationships, romantic relationships, the same way they would any endeavor with a partner. Do you go into business because you fall in love with someone? Hopefully not. Do you start a band because, right? Well, you know, these are real questions.
0: I think as you say it, I choose my partnerships and business. I I see the person that is really good at
1: what they do, and I want to join with that. Yes. You also want to know, are they reliable? Are they going to be loyal? Are they going to work with you or against you? Can you trust them? Will they come through? Are you on the same page with them with the vision of what you're going to do? What if this person has a different vision? They're really good at what they do. They're not good at you. And they're not good at what you want. Um, They want to go west. You want to go east. And you just didn't talk about it. You just didn't vet each other to find out whether you want the same things. And only in love relationships uh, do we not do those things. Only in love relationships, which is a problem. And maybe having children. You can't
0: vet the kids before they come out, so to speak.
1: Sure you know, th- this is really about, you know, th- using the capacity that we have as human beings to predict, plan, and prepare for what could go wrong, to be able to imagine something and and manifest it, right? When I say relationships don't ex- exist except in our heads, you know, as children, it exists because the gods, our parents, are are basically deciding what that relationship is going to be. If they decide... Even if they don't decide, whatever it is that they know and have ex- experienced is what's going to come through. This is the multi-generational transmission thing. So this is really about adulthood, the symmetry of two adults coming together based on terms and conditions. That, that is the recipe or a recipe for happiness and longevity. As long as people are both generals, both bosses, both executives, both legislators, they are making this relationship not a therapist, not Oprah, not a book, not religion, not their parents, right? You and I decide what this shall be, and we're constantly shaping it in the way we want. We just have to agree. We just have to make sure we get each other on board with everything, or we will fight.
0: It sounds like you're saying that we're equal as partners, and I know that I have deficits, and I lean into my spouse for that, and they have deficits, and they lean into that for me. And sometimes they're in charge, sometimes I'm in charge, depending on our strengths. So help me understand that piece. And we're going to get to conflict. We might even get into in conflict. But I just to you said we're both generals, we're both lieutenants. What does that mean in relationship to leaning on each other?
1: Shared power, shared authority means the bug stops with both of us. We're both You know, we both have the same things to gain and the same things to lose. That's really important. That's interdependence, right? Two separate individuals who come in together based on terms and conditions. What we're going to do, what we're never going to do. That's a decision that two adults make. Therefore, it's even, Stephen, we play fair and we play in in a way that, that makes sure that we're taking care of ourselves and our partner at the same time. Otherwise, the alliance becomes adversarial. So this is things we already know, right? We already know this. We already know this because of human you know, behavior since the beginning of uh, humans being on the planet. We know this about civilization, about how we've been able to get people to behave themselves and not harm each other, not rob and steal. So it's done with a structure and getting people on board, unless it's a dictatorship, in which case you do what you're told. So that's not what I'm talking about, Uh, that you are different and that you delegate is not, is still sharing power and authority if you both have the last say. So yeah, I I delegate this to you because I am terrible at finances, but I also need to know where our finances are. I also need to be able to say no if I think you're doing something that's going to hurt the union, right? So that's what I'm talking about. Now to speak to your other thing that you said, we we come together. Nature pushes us together based on at least psychologically familiarity and recognition that brings us together. That we, you and I, are different. If we uh, if we celebrate that difference, uh, our differences that's our superpower. So you and John are different, and your superpower is the combination of the two of you uh, that uh, you make up for each other's deficits. You are better together than you would be alone.
0: Well, I plan the vacations. He goes on the vacations. There you go. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, No, I do understand it because it's still a shared common goal. And by the way, uh, he fixes the computers. I use them. So there is that back and forth. But we've both agreed that we want to enjoy the vacation. We both agree that we want the computers to work. And I think it's in that context of agreement that you're talking about that we can share
1: power. Absolutely. So structure is extremely important in long lasting relationships that, that we're both drivers of this thing, no passengers, and that we're constantly working together, making our relationship the most important thing ostensibly because everyone and everything depends on us being in good order, being in good shape.
0: How does anyone live that consciously? I mean, you know, we fight, we are, you know, as you said, we're kind of like animals. We fight, we argue, you know, I want more of the steak, you want more of the fish. I think if I was that conscious all the time, I'd lose my mind. And really, folks, what we're talking about is the nature of what makes a relationship work and what is a relationship. Uh, And it's not perfect, it's messy, as you said. Yeah. But you are talking about being conscious. And many of the folks I work with, they're in crisis. They're lying to each other. They're completely focused on what they want. And they often don't become conscious until they're in conflict or in fear. And then, boy, do they become conscious.
1: Well, we don't really care about what we're doing or why unless we suffer, right? Uh, we don't want to look at our childhoods. And nobody does that unless they're suffering. Uh, Maybe if you're interested in it, you'll look at it, but you won't change. We don't like to change. Uh, We change because we must, right? Because we've lost something or we're going to lose something. That's just the way it is. So the partners are creating a situation that includes getting each other on board. So, you and I, how do we get each other on board with something? We have to look to where we agree and where we're the same. Now, most human beings look to where we're different and where we disagree. And that's being in the weeds, right? Everyone can do that. But people who um, know how to bring people together always look to where we are the same and where we agree. And then we work our way down to the details. So anything can be, most everything can be accomplished that way through bargaining, right? Bargaining. Let me make it worth it. Well, how about this? What do you think of this? What I'm saying is, unless we operate as a two-person psychological system, always keeping in mind our partner's interests, fears, concerns, and our own, unless we do that consistently, we're going to fight. We're always going to fight. And the other person is going to take that focus on the self only as unfriendly, and they will do the same.
0: Can you break that down in me? For simple? Like, I, I need an example of
1: that. If I am talking only about what I want, and I'm not saying or acknowledging what I know you want, or what you're afraid of with what I want. If I don't do that, I force you to do that yourself. And that starts a process of squaring off. Now, I instead of my keeping you in mind, you get the idea, well, I better start to protect myself because obviously this, this other person who should care about me doesn't. So now I'm going to start to protect my interests because you're not. That then causes me to protect my interests because you're now compelled to protect yourself and not think of me. This is how we get into a loop of threat, right? Now we're going to starting to talk about conflict. Right.
0: So can I, if you don't mind, bring up something that happened to me this morning? Sure. So I was sitting in front of this, absolutely true. I was sitting in front of the computer and I was looking for a pair of Birkenstocks because the shoes are cool and I'm going on vacation and I can grip the ground well and feel comfortable and be cool all at the same time, which, you know, doesn't happen every day. And so I'm looking at the Birkenstocks. Do I like the blue one, the red one? And my husband, who's across the room, sent me a text. And and I'm looking at the Birkenstocks. I heard the little bell, but I'm looking at the Birkenstocks. And a few seconds later I heard, why didn't you read that? Well, I'm looking at the Birkenstocks. But you're sitting right there. I watched you. You're looking at shoes. I sent you something. And I'm like, well, but but why can't I look at these for a few minutes? And why can't I why can't I just get to that in a minute? Why do I have to respond to it right away? And then, well, you never answer my text. Well, I do answer your text. But when I'm busy, I don't have time. But you were just looking at shoes. You couldn't have been busy. And off we went. Now, I will say I had some understanding as a therapist how to resolve this it took me a little while but to me so i want you to like concretize how the. and i don't think i'm the only one who deals with those kinds of conflicts what makes that a conflict and how how could we have managed it in a different way right in those moments
1: well your, your partner was thinking only of himself and wasn't considering you and therefore you had to defend uh, because this is a this is a system. It's not about one person. It's about a system that either works or doesn't work. Think of a think of a, um, a potato sack race. You work together, or you don't win. That's just. That's just the way it goes. Uh, you you know you consider each other, or you're going to fight, and you're going to waste a lot of time. But and he was
0: afraid. I mean, ultimately, he was afraid that he wasn't going to be paid attention to. That there were other things more important to me than him. You know, he concretized that into and and how I know that is if you don't respond right now, and you don't put what you're doing aside and pay attention to me.
1: The point here is that you too, when you're not. When you're sober, meaning neither of you are on catecholamines, you know, getting ready to fight. I don't, you, you'll have to explain on, that one. On, uh, stimulants uh, in the area of adrenaline.
0: Right? Oh, I see. Fight or flight kind of.
1: Yes. As soon as you're there, you're not going to be able to come up with uh, an idea, a principle of how we should do business. So then you would sit down, you would say, we should, uh, we should come to some kind of an agreement of how we're going to deal with uh, each other's bids for attention, keeping in mind that technology gives us this sort of this a fantasy that we should be always available at every moment. And if there's not an answer, then it means something, right? That's going to be bad for you and me, not just me, right? So we have to come up with some kind of legislation, some principle that allows us to, uh, to respect each other and to stay tethered in contact with each other, while at the same time understanding that there are uh, unforeseen forces, right, that we can't do anything about. We want to come up with something that we both agree to so that we don't fight, This is thinking ahead, predicting what could go wrong. Well, one thing is... I'd buy the wrong shoes. (laughs) You talk together in a collaborative way without working on each other. You're working on a problem, not each other. In this instance, uh, the two of you do what everyone will do, is you start working on each other and that's war every time. Mm -hmm. No Mm -hmm. way around it. But the two of you and everyone has to do is, what do we do for the next time to protect our relationship? Because it, this could happen in either direction, right? I could contact you and you didn't respond. And now I'm angry because I'm worried. I thought maybe you died. What are we, how are we going to handle this so that it's good for both of us? That's how you do it. You can't solve the problem in the moment because you don't have any agreements. You've got that, that adrenaline stuff running too. right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, everything we do, especially when it has to do with governing each other, governing means making sure that our relationship isn't isn't the Wild West, right? That we're protecting our union by keeping each other from doing harm to each other, right? So, those are principles of governance. That can only be done with previous agreement and permission to enforce. Otherwise, we'll fight because everything you and I are doing right now is through agreement and permission when we do therapy we can't do it without their agreement to do the therapy we do and permission to actually do our job that's called no therapeutic alliance if we didn't have that so keep in mind couples are the same Uh, everything has to be done respectfully right uh as two uh as two sovereign individuals with previous agreement and permission to enforce otherwise who died and made you my boss, right? That's what we're going to do. So that's the organization part. But the manner, in which, the manner in which you and I interact when one of us is under stress is the other thing that will get us, that we have to learn and discipline ourselves to do. Well,
0: because we're out of our thinking self and into some kind of emotional reactivity.
1: We're in, we're in survival, actually. It's a survival instinct. I I
0: don't mean to turn to you as a therapist and support my relationship, but since you're here, let me tell you what I did do. So I thought, what's going to make this better? What is he asking me? And I thought, he's really asking me to understand that when he's reaching out to me, that I need to, for him to know that I'm paying attention, that for him to know that I'm responding. That's what. So I went back to him and I said, you know, I gave up my fight or flight. And I said, you know, I think you really want me to pay more attention to your text. I think you really want me to be more interactive when you write them. And and I just want you to know I, I get that and I apologize because I could have turned to that and you I didn't. And so I, as we go forward, the negotiation, whenever it is possible for me to put stuff down, I absolutely will. And I need you to understand that sometimes I'm doing things that I can't put down. And then he kind of did a little, well, yeah, because I'm right and you're wrong for a moment. I let that pass. But there was peace. But I gave up. I fell on my sword. It's like you said, uh, because to me, it was like, this is the best way to resolve is for me to surrender, if you will. I don't know that we reach any conclusions.
1: Yeah. The two of you were sitting in front of me. I would uh, say that you both have to learn how to fall on your swords completely without hesitation and without qualification. That is the way you run this thing. It's a team sport, not a solo sport. This isn't family where you get to do what you want and you'll be forgiven. We're accountable to each other, and if you don't show humility and fall on your own sword, that will build threat memory, uh, and that's that's going to hurt both of you. So John is in the wrong if he at any time says I'm right and you're wrong because that's not possible. Uh, this is a system: no angels, no devils. Where there's one, there's always the other. Well, it doesn't mean the
0: agreement either for me to be right and you to be wrong if we have this goal that we've agreed to that is other than that.
1: If you have an agreement that we respond immediately to text, hopefully you vetted that because that's not always going to be possible. No, I mean
0: the bigger agreement to join, to stay focused on each other, to have this goal for the relationship that is more important than that was the agreement that I meant.
1: Right. So... So then it would be, I'm sorry. I am so sorry that I did that. I, I, uh, that, uh, I did that and let you feeling that you, weren't un, you were unimportant. Uh, now, what he should do is the very same. If he wants to actually work in the way that I'm suggesting, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry. I, I was insensitive. I saw that you were doing something and I expected you to drop it for me. And that was not reasonable. Um, thank you. And then, you, and then you put something in place for the next time. Let's, let's learn from this and put something in place so we don't fight about this again, right? Not about this. Um, uh, that is smart. That is taking something that happens and making sure it doesn't repeat because the repetition, Rob, is what actually causes inflammation in memory and leads to amplification of resentment. So, uh, so partners need to be very careful uh, to keep repetition at a minimum. And the only way to do that is by coming up with guardrails for the next time.
0: So I want to go back to the book, because I think this is what we're talking about now. And the subtitle of In Each Other's Care, it says, a guide to the most common relationship conflicts and how to work through them. So now I think we're in a detail of my experience that I'm trying to understand how to work through with your advice. But what I understood about the book is that you got very concrete about what is the nature of specific conflicts for different couples and how to begin to approach them. Can you give some examples of, Yeah, what did you get real and specific on? Because I know you, you could be a little scientific, a little, you know, in the university clouds, but you got down and dirty here.
1: So tell me more about that. Yeah, there's no science in this book. First of all, hopefully people, when they read the book, they'll get the message that uh, when all is said and done, it isn't the complaint or the subject matter or the topic that's the problem. It's anything that causes stress or that is a stressful topic is going to reveal how well you and I can stay collaborative and cooperative under that condition. What's going to happen is that we'll do the same thing regardless of what the topic is. It could be about kids, it could be about sex, it could be about messiness, it could be about anything. The point is, you and I will make the same mistakes every time, regardless of the topic, if one or both of us is in distress or stress, because we have not yet practiced, it's a sport, we've not yet practiced how to stay collaborative and cooperative, even when it's storming inside, outside.
0: So I, I just want to be very concrete about the people I work with in that case. Um, I've got, a, a, for example, a woman who has just found out or been be- the, how, the degree to which she's been betrayed by the spouse she thought was being honest and open. And she is absolutely infuriated and hurt and violated and feels like maybe she wasn't loved. And there's not a lot of negotiation in that circumstance you know the guy who's done it if it's a guy says wow i can't believe i hurt you and i'm so sorry and i'm such a jerk and i'll never do that again and she says well good you know I, so i guess what i want to start with around all this is in moments of high conflict how do you
1: build agreement when you can't even talk to each other and there was two important things you just mentioned that have to be separated out betrayal which is the reveal of information that had i known would have changed everything for me, but you kept it from me, Uh, that uh, causes PTSD in the discovery partners. So that is a whole different animal. That is uh, treason, right? Uh, And the reason is, is because as partners, as primaries, which we believe we are uh, just biologically when we get in these kind of relationships, we're supposed to share information. We're supposed to read each other in the left and right hand are supposed to know the same things. If I discover something that I should have known, you took away from me my my agency. You took away I could have said no deal. I could have said uh, you do that and I'm out. But you didn't tell me. You kept it from me, and now now my world is upside down. Now I don't know what is true. I can't know. You've proven to me that you can lie and now I have evidence, and now I don't know who you are. I don't know who I am. I don't know who what we were. And for a, at least a year, my brain can do nothing else but actually recalibrate this new information with the entire time I've been with you. It will do it whether I like it or not.
0: Well, I no longer believe that you will go out in the world and and have my back. Now I know that you can go out in the world and do the exact opposite. And then I have to reevaluate who you are, who we are. And it's a constant reevaluation every time you walk out that door.
1: Anything's possible now. And there's nothing you can say about it. In fact, if you say, I'll never do it again, you make it worse because you sound like an addict who says, "Oh, I'll never do it again. That's not true. Lying is involved, let's say alcoholism and drug addiction. Uh, there's a cluster of behaviors that's not simply an addiction. Uh, there are many, many different tendrils and aspects of one sense of self and other in relationship that goes all the way back to childhood that accounts for my ability to mislead you, right? And so you will know that uh, I am different because I'm not doing any of those things that reminds you of my lying or cheating. That's a very, very difficult thing to do because the person who experiences this kind of betrayal has now increased the radius of their cues for picking up threat which makes it hard on both people. Everything you do now starts to make me think you're lying. Uh, you have no movement here because you're in the doghouse, you're the villain, and you're expected to be the hero too. Very hard place to be, right? So betrayal is a whole different animal.
0: Well, we, we have a term ambivalent love, which is I look at you in one moment and I still feel connected to how I always saw you and how I always felt about us. And then the next minute I look at you and I hate you. How could you do this to me? And I find that that's a very difficult place to be for many of the people I work with.
1: What's PTSD? Um, uh, mood instability, thoughts that won't go away, perseveration, right? paranoia, uh, flashbacks, you know, obsession, right? So th- I can't do anything about that, I don't care who you are, you're going to go through this unless you've cheated and lied too, in which case you won't show any symptoms. Hi, this
0: is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com.